In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that he had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the power of sin once and for all, giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your love and for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, ultimately seen in Jesus. And we know that through the ministry of Jesus, we can be set free from sin, death, and condemnation. And Father, as the children of God, living in this broken world with broken bodies, we confess that at times we have accommodated mindsets and habits and patterns that have prevented us or are stopping us from living in the fullness of your love and your power. And God, this morning I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would continue to set us free and set us free so that we can live in the fullness of your love and power. So God, as we spend time in your word, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would do a work in our hearts. We're desperate for that. We need that. And we invite that. So be with us today, I pray. And it's in the name of Jesus that I do. Amen. Oh, good morning, church. My name's Jason, one of the pastors here. Uh, it's great to be with you. Welcome. Everyone who walks through those doors is welcome. And today we are in week four of our Set Free Sermon series. And if you've been journeying with us, you'll be aware that we've been looking at issues like shame, uh, rejection, fear, all of which can prevent or stop us from living in the fullness of God's love and power. And today, I believe with all my heart that by God's grace and by His Spirit, He is going to set some people free from addiction, from addiction. Now, the people of God, they are not immune to the temptations and challenges of life. The people of God are, are, are not immune from adopting habits and mindsets that end up creating patterns that are destructive and out of control. And therefore, the people of God need to come to Him, the, 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 the one who has the resources of heaven available, to help set us free from things that can be robbing us from the fullness of God's love and power. And, and this morning, I want us to spend some time in God's Word looking at how God, by His Spirit, could possibly set us free from an issue like addiction. And this morning, I thought I would uh, give us a working definition on the word addiction so we have an idea on what I'm talking about. And this definition is one that I made up myself. 
I own this. Didn't come from a textbook. Didn't come from some lecture or seminar that I sat in. This is mine. And if you don't like it, well, that's just too bad. I'm going to give it to you today because I think it's going to be very, very helpful as we explore this issue of addiction. So my definition is this. An addiction is the need for any substance and or activity to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life. Let me read that again. An addiction is the need for any substance and or activity to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life. Now, when you hear the word addiction, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes to mind. And, and, and some of the more common thoughts um, are around alcohol, other drugs, gambling, pornography, some of those big hitting addictions, the one that caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt uh, in the lives of all. But there are a number of other things that if we allow them to begin to take control of our lives and we can turn to any substance or activity to either enjoy, manage or avoid the experiences of life, And these good things then become a habit, they become a pattern, we rely on them, we then have a dependency upon them, and we develop an addiction. And some of these everyday items that we might overlook and not really uh, consider or realize could be addictive include things like sugar. Yeah, listen to the murmurs go around the room after I drop that one. Sugar. Caffeine. Exercise, food, shopping, technology, relationships, status, employment, success, and the list goes on. You could pretty much add anything to that list, and if we are not careful, we could turn to that substance or that activity to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life to the point where it becomes an unhealthy pattern and we become addicted to those things. Not all of those things are bad. I get that. I get that. You know, as I was preparing this message and doing some research, I came across a couple of other addictions that I thought were pretty weird and worth mentioning this morning. Firstly, there is a 22-year-old woman in the United States of America named Keisha. And after changing her first nappy, she developed an addiction to sniffing and sipping on dirty nappies. Now, after developing this particular addiction, Keisha believes that since then, she has sniffed and slurped her way through 25,000 dirty nappies. What an addiction. And, and if this is an issue for you this morning, um, I just want, no, I'm just kidding. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's not. Nick Trevally, he's another young man from the United States of America. What's going on over there? Uh, anyway, Nick Trevally is a self-confessed sneakerhead. In other words, he's addicted to buying sneakers. He'll go on a footlocker complex in LA, wherever it might be, and he'll just buy loads and loads of sneakers. And he says this, sneakers are my nicotine, and I have zero shame in admitting that. I can never get enough. And I'll never have too many. The thing is, I have to keep the boxes because if I leave them in the closet or out on the open floor, they will collect dust and dirt and they will be unprotected from the elements. 
Now, can I just say that as probably not a self-confessed sneakerhead, I don't mind the odd kick. I've got a few at home. Um, but as, as someone who enjoys sneakers, I understand Nick's pain. I know what it's like to leave your shoes out and have dust come, come on them and have to get a, a baby wipe and wipe them all the time. Like, I, I get that. I, I feel his pain. There is nothing wrong with things like sugar, caffeine, food, exercise, technology, sneakers. There's definitely something wrong with sipping and sniffing nappies, all right? But there's nothing wrong with some of those other things. But what happens is it has been the nature of humanity to turn good things into God things. And when we turn good things into God things, we then serve two masters, the God who declares and desires for us to have no other God beside him is now in competition with another substance or activity that has taken the place of authority in one's life. We have this habit of taking good things, turning them into God things. We then serve two masters. And what's that called? Idolatry. We have an issue of idolatry. What once began as a conscious decision has become awfully hard to stop. And without that substance or that activity to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life, the mood swings from side to side. The depression and anxiety-like symptoms go up and down like a bungee, and the body begins to ache and pain as we crave and as we withdraw from those various substances and activities. And sadly, sadly, many people think that it is easier just to continue using that particular substance, participate in that particular activity, and so the cycle continues. Today, I believe that God wants to set us free he wants to set us free from addictive behaviors, from addictions in itself, and by His grace and by His Spirit, I'm praying that He's going to do that. Hey, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 17. And uh, in this particular story, we see Jesus encounter a woman at the well. And this woman, at one time or another, had made a conscious decision to enjoy, manage, or avoid her experiences in life in the arms of many men, and it has become a pattern that defines her existence. Let's read it together. John 4, 7 to 17. Well, let's not read it together. I'll read it, and you can listen. It goes like this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The disciples of Jesus had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, or do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. And then she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. For whatever reasons, this woman has been about the town, and she now has a colorful history. And with divine insight, Jesus speaks into her situation, and then he offers her living water. And did you notice that Jesus does not say that he is the living water, but instead that he can give her living water, and that if she was to receive it, then she would never thirst again. Did you notice that? Well, what Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit and his ministry. When God sends the Holy Spirit into the heart of the believer, the Holy Spirit administers grace, comfort, power, so that the believer can continue and that the unbeliever could exercise faith in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus refers to living water, he is suggesting or he is offering the Holy Spirit who can provide that woman's deepest need, and that is her need for God, but also the grace, the comfort, and the power to be set free from this decision that she made many, many years before, of which now shapes and defines her existence. And I believe that if we are wanting to be set free from anything that robs us, from living in the fullness of God's love and power, God, by His Holy Spirit, can relay both grace, comfort, and also power so that we can overcome those things. And that includes to the individual who is fighting addiction. Now, I believe that I have a lot to offer on this topic of addiction. You know, for more than 20 years, I personally have sought both pastoral and professional counseling for addictive behaviors and for addiction itself. You know, as a young boy, I experienced trauma, both directly and indirectly. Uh, as a young boy, I experienced rejection and hurt. And this played itself out in some abnormal cravings for various activities and substances. For example, um, as a young boy, not long after my father had left, um, I felt rejected. I wanted attention. So I began to do things for attention. So in school, I started playing up. I was the kid whose desk always got moved down the front next to the teacher's desk. If you're a teacher in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. Yep, I was one of those kids. Um, and when I was at school, you know, I got into, uh, got into trouble, got into a lot of fights at school. Um, I didn't win any of those fights, but that's a different story altogether. Um, the, the experiences of my life created abnormal and unhealthy cravings towards attention as a child. But as I grew up, it spawned into other things. For example, a massive sweet tooth, a need for sugar, for comfort. And then from there, it, it became nicotine. 
and then from, um, from smoking cigarettes, it went to alcohol misuse. And then from there, already at this point in my life, I had been using illicit drugs for a long time and had developed an addiction to hard and illicit drugs. But the story doesn't get better. After that, I developed an addiction to work, to success, to achievement. Because of my experiences in life, I've, I've had to fight this abnormal craving for things to, to help me enjoy manage or avoid the experiences of life. Are you starting to wonder why on earth Gateway has called me to be a pastor? You're looking at one broken dude right here. For other people, it's different. Perhaps uh, trauma, stress, uh, financial problems, mental health concerns, whatever it might be. These things have caused you to turn to a substance or an activity to either enjoy, manage, or avoid those experiences in life. But let me just say this. This is all doom and gloom. I get that. This is where it gets good, all right? Stay with me for a second. What I can testify to is this. By the grace of God, by the power of His Word, through His Holy Spirit, and by the encouragement of other people, God redeemed me and restored me from a five-year hardcore addiction to hard and illicit drugs. He did that by His grace and by His mercy. And I'm not just saying that I was messing around with that stuff for five years. It happened a long time before then. But there was five years of darkness. I'm talking homelessness. I'm talking broken relationships. I'm talking long-term unemployment. I'm talking a really bad skin condition that looked like a bad case of acne, of which I still fight today, and I hate it. Woke up yesterday morning, looked at my face, saw a goit coming, and I said to Ange, typical, I'm going to be on the stage on Sunday, on the screens, and I'm going to have a big goit on my face. All comes from this recovery from addiction. And I can remember days where my mental health was declining and declined in a rapid way. In a rapid way. I think I've got something to offer on the topic of addiction. And I want to encourage any of you who have been fighting addiction, either to some of those hard-hitting issues or a good thing that's become a God thing, I want to encourage you and by the grace of God help you find freedom in those areas. You know, in this series, we've been helping people to identify a lie, to take hold of a truth, and to walk in the Spirit. And I want to follow that pattern this morning when we look at this idea of being set free from addiction. I want to identify the lie. And the first thing I want to do is obviously that, identify the lie. But the lie is this. It is there is no way out. There is no way out. That is a lie. Do you know I completely understand the entrapment one feels when they fight an addiction? I completely understand what it's like to face temptation whilst you are pouring milk and sugar onto your breakfast first thing in the day. I completely understand what it's like to fight the barrage of thoughts that enter your head when you stare at that computer screen, when you walk down the confectionery aisle, when you drive past the BWS at home. I understand the entrapment that comes with that. 
I understand how it feels to come up with a plan that you then cannot follow through on. And then you need to revisit that plan, change that plan. Go to your spouse, your accountability partner and say, guess what? I bombed it again. What am I going to do? Here's a new plan. Here's a new idea. And then you just keep going and going and going. I understand the entrapment of that. And I understand that how as a child of God who lives with addictive tendencies or as a child of God out there who may be fighting addiction, I understand how when you fail, I know what it's like to then harbor guilt, shame, hopelessness, loneliness. I get that. I get that. But can I tell you, my friends, there is a way out. To think there is no way out is a lie. It's a dead set lie. There is a way out, and I'm going to share with you some thoughts that helped me, and I pray they're going to help you as you identify the slide. There is no way out because there is a way out. Let me share with you a few thoughts. Um, Pastor Derek last week says good theology includes good psychology, or good psychology is found in good theology. Let me share with you some things that I had to do to help overcome my um, addictive tendencies and things like that. Firstly, we've got to start the fight. We've got to start the fight. We need to admit we have a problem. We need to draw a line in the sand. We need to mark a date in the calendar and say, from there, no more. I'm going to fight this sucker. I'm going to take it head on. And the moment you do that, you will notice that everything's different. Your determination increases. Your desire to do good grows. But there's got to be a point where we start the fight, admit we have a problem, and decide to take this sucker on. The other thing I would suggest is that we need to put someone in our corner. We've got to put someone in our corner. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, this could be a friend, it could be a relative, it could be a pastor. It needs to be someone gracious, patient, forgiving, someone that will not count your sins against you every time you slip up or mess up. But you need to have someone in your corner praying for you and helping you as you fight addiction and move toward a place of freedom. And the other thing you need to do is build a game plan. You've got to build a game plan. One of the important things to do to find freedom is to or to identify the underlying causes or issues that create destructive thoughts and destructive patterns. And when you identify those causes and those issues, you can then replace them, you can retrain your brain, you can build new highways within your mind, and in so doing, overcome your addiction or whatever destructive thought you may have. Now, that's easier said than done, right? So who do we need for that other than God? We need the people whom God has trained and gifted to be a professional in the area of psychology. So we need the help of a trained professional. And you might think, you know what? I don't have enough money to pay for that. I can't afford it. Um, and I totally understand that. You know, if you were to go to a GP, you could get yourself a mental health care plan, which will give you free counseling sessions. And that includes substance use disorders. That's, that's a mental illness. And you can get help through that. 
If you are employed and your company has an employee assistance program, man, use that. It's for free. If you've been battling with sipping and sniffing on dirty nappies, go see your EAP. That's confidential. It's free. Why not use it? There is a way out. Start the fight. Put someone on your corner. Build a game plan. Freedom in Christ. Oh, we've already got freedom in Christ. Freedom by the power of Christ is yours to be had. It's yours to be had. Those of you who are battling this, you, you probably don't need me to harp on about this any longer. But I do want to say that if it is, if it's not addressed, you are aware of the impact that it will continue to have on your life. For example, if we do not identify the lie, it'll impact things like our loves, so our partners, our um, spouse, our, uh, our children, things along those lines, our loves. It will impact our liver, which is our health and our well-being. It will impact our livelihood, which is um, work productivity or perhaps long-term employment. And it will impact our legal. The moment your issue with a substance or activity puts you at odds with the law, that's a red flag. But if we don't identify the lie and take hold of some truths and, and start the fight, it will continue to impact our loves, our liver, our livelihood, and also our legal. There is a way out, my friends. There is a way out. Identify the lie. Hey, secondly, take hold of the truth. And the truth that we as the partial team uh, here at Gateway believe is that if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you are filled with the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit and you are free to follow Him as a disciple and as a servant. How do you know you are filled with the Spirit? Just three things that hopefully you will take as truth because they come from God's Word. And as you battle your addiction and hold on to these truths, it will build for you a strong foundation. Get a load of these truths that I'm going to throw at you right now. The first one is this. You have received the gospel. You have received the gospel. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter replies to the onlookers, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then listen to this. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. And the moment we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are filled with him. The moment we believe that we are saved from our sins by the free gift of God in Christ Jesus and getting on top of this issue or, or dot, 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 you're a legalist, you're religious. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and then filled with the Spirit. If you are battling addiction, yet you have received the gospel, can I tell you that you are filled with the Spirit? That's the truth. You're filled with His Holy Spirit. Do you know how else I know that if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, that you are filled with His Spirit? You are under the Spirit's guidance. Have a listen to this. Jesus says, John 16, 13. He doesn't actually say John 16, 13. His words are found there. 
He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He guides us towards truth, towards repentance, towards action. Now listen to me very carefully, my friends. The fact that you are concerned about your sin, the fact that you are concerned about your addiction, the fact that you are concerned about anything that could be robbing you from living in the fullness of God's love and power, that is evidence of an indwelling Holy Spirit. If you didn't care about sin, if you didn't care about, you know, where you stood in the presence of God and issues of addiction and so on, I would question the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. But if you're sitting here today wanting to grow in Christ Jesus, wanting to overcome an addiction, wanting to find freedom so you can live in the fullness of God's love and power, friends, that's the Holy Spirit at work. You are filled with the Spirit. He is at work in your life because the Spirit guides His people towards truth, repentance, and action. My friends, this is good preaching. Can I get an amen or something? Just something. And I think this is vitally, vitally helpful to someone fighting an addiction. Because you know what it's like. Ups and downs, wins and losses, failure. And the moment that happens, am I I still in God's family? Did you receive the gospel? Do you sense them leading you? And then I like the third one. I know you're filled with the Spirit because of your love for others. Jesus says once again, John 13, verses 34 to 35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if we love God and we show our love toward God by you know, acts of love and kindness to others, we are verifying our discipleship. You know, when you stand on this platform and sing to God and help us worship, you're verifying your discipleship. When you serve on a welcome team, helping people to find a seat so they can worship Jesus and hear from his word, you are verifying your discipleship. If you are giving money or going over to the Congo, you are verifying your discipleship. If you go into the kitchen on a Saturday and help the Scarlet May Foundation cook meals for people who are suffering over the loss of a child, you are verifying your discipleship. That's how we know you are filled with the Spirit. Because you receive the gospel, he's guiding you, and because of your love for others. You know, I've had the pleasure, the pleasure of seeing young men and young women take addiction head on and recover, but it didn't happen overnight. As they identified the lie, that is, there's no way out, and said, you know what, there is a way out. And as they took a hold of the truth that they are a child of God, because they received the gospel, and they're indwelt by the Spirit, victory was theirs. And I actually love journeying with people who are battling addiction. It takes time, it requires grace, patience, and forgiveness, but there is a way out. How good does that sound? Man, identify the lie. Take hold of the truth. And because it's 11.15, I'm going to hurry up and talk about walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. You know, every week, uh, the, the preachers are wanting to give you a practical tip or way on how you can walk in the Spirit. And you might need to remind yourselves of what those 
were, because I won't spend any time on them, but the one I want to give you, or the one I want to encourage you to do, is to learn how to exchange your guilt for God's grace. Learning how to exchange guilt for grace is vital to finding freedom and freedom from addiction. You know, when you battle addictions, man, there's ups and downs, wins and losses. You go well for a week, two weeks. You might then relapse. Then all of a sudden, the next day, regrets kick in. The questions begin to come at you hard and fast from the enemy. Guilt and shame begins to overwhelm you. And it's very important to exchange guilt for God's grace. How do you do that? Firstly, you seek forgiveness immediately. Do you know it's the enemy's plan for us to accommodate sin, guilt, and shame? That's what he wants us to do. But we need to acknowledge the guilt and then give it to God straight away. Seek reconciliation with him and others if need be, but if a relapse occurs, give it to God, seek forgiveness immediately. And then also, as you learn to exchange your guilt for God's grace and you seek forgiveness immediately, when you do, get a hold of this, my friends, you're going to like this one. When you do, know that God's faithfulness is far greater than your failure. That sounded so nice. I'm going to say it twice. Know that God's faithfulness is far greater than your failure. Whenever you come to God in faith, seeking forgiveness by His grace, you can be rest assured of what His response is going to be. You know, uh, we are faithless, but God is faithful. We fail, but God's love is unfailing. His response is never in doubt. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Learning to exchange guilt for grace. Seek forgiveness immediately. God's response is never in doubt. Never in doubt. The enemy is the one that wants you to accommodate sin, guilt, and shame. Man, I believe God has been setting people free the last few weeks. Free from ejection, from shame, from fear. And I believe God is wanting to set some people free from addiction. Could be an addiction to some of those hard-hitting things. Or perhaps there is a good thing that you've turned into a God thing. You now have two masters and have an idolatry issue. Perhaps there's some of you here that are like, you know what, all of this is, is just doom and gloom. I don't want any of it. This morning, I just want to declare that God's going to be my only source of, of grace, comfort, and power from this day forward. That, that could be you. And a way to do that is to simply identify the lie, take hold of the truth, and walk in the Spirit. You know, my mind goes back to when God spoke to his people uh, through the prophet Elijah, Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it sounds like God is two things. One, he's offended. And two, he's heartbroken. And in this particular verse that I'm referring to, God says that his people have committed two sins. One is... They have forsaken him. And then he declares himself to be or describes himself as living water. 
then he proceeds to say that God's people have forsaken him, a provider of living water, and have turned to their man-made solutions and understandings, which in this particular verse is referred to as a cistern. And, and the comparison God is making here is that he's saying, look, if you're rejecting the living water that I'm offering you by my Holy Spirit, grace, comfort, and power, you are pretty much turning to a toilet. You're rejecting fresh water for toilet water. And I think that in our story today, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, he's kind of reminding his people of this again. He's saying, you know what, in this world, as Pastor Tim said before, that there are a lot of lies, there are a lot of offers, a lot of temptations. But those things, if we turn to them to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences in life, we may as well be drinking out of the toilet. So when you turn to something like alcohol and other drugs, you know, to, to uh, enjoy, avoid, or manage the experiences of life, You might as well drink out of the toilet. If you turn to something like gambling and pornography to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life, it's like drinking out of a toilet. If you turn to things like food, exercise, caffeine, sugar to help you get through the thing they call life, It's like drinking out of a toilet. If you desire the acceptance and the approval of others, it's like drinking out of the toilet. And if you continue to drink out of the toilet, my friends, what happens? You get sick. And I heard that that toilet came from Andrew Main's personal ensuite. So think about how that just tasted. Friends, let's be done with drinking out of the toilet. Dare I say, I think there are people in this room that have been drinking out of the toilet for far too long. Whether it's fighting an addiction to some of those hard-hitting drugs or alcohol or pornography and gambling, or whether you know in your heart because God by His Spirit has been speaking to you today that one of these not-so-bad things, actually it's a good thing, has become a God thing in your life. And now you rely on that to enjoy, manage, or avoid the experiences of life. In so doing, we're drinking from the toilet. And I think there are many people in this room who have either been battling those big things or have allowed good things to become God things. And in so doing, we've been drinking out of the toilet. Today, I believe that there are a lot of you in this room who want to declare in faith that God will be their source of grace, their source of comfort, and their source of power. And this morning I believe that as, uh, as you come forward, that God by His Spirit is going to administer living water into your soul today. Hey, I've got a couple of wells set up here this morning. There's nothing magical about the wells but I think there's something special in coming forward in faith and declaring to God that you will be my only source of grace, comfort, and power. And this morning, if God's been speaking to you in any way, if you just want to make that declaration once again, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And our pastors are going to serve you, and you're going to drink in faith 
uh, the grace, comfort and power of God. And if you would like to be prayed over, members of our prayer team are going to be scattered around the front. Man, don't worry about what the rest of us think if you come forward. We're not going to be sitting back thinking, yeah, you know what? I thought he had an issue with the bottle. We're not going to sit back and go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I thought he's been eating a little bit too much lately. He's put on about 10 kg. And if you do that, I think you need to come to God with a whole other issue. But I want to invite any one of you who want to make that declaration once again that God will be your only source of grace, comfort, and power to come forward and receive. Hey, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then I'll ask the pastors to take their positions and the pastoral team to scatter, and then we'll, uh, we'll have a time of response this morning. Father in heaven, you are almighty. You are gracious, and my goodness, you are merciful. And Father, there have been many times in our lives, either as a believer or someone who hasn't placed faith in Jesus Christ, where we have turned to a substance or an activity to enjoy, avoid, or manage the experiences of life. And Father, today we declare no more, no more. Father, I believe in this room there are people that want to declare once again that you will be their only source of grace, comfort, and power. And God, as we respond by coming to the well and receiving living water, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would administer that grace, comfort, and power into their hearts and lives today. Ah, Father, would you work? We sense you working in this place. We sense you speaking to hearts, bringing down walls, deconstructing mindsets, breaking strongholds. Father, I pray that if that's taking place in the life of an individual today, that they would step forward in faith and declare you as the only source of grace, comfort, and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, as Mark and the team begin to sing, how about you just start coming forward right now? Come to the well, receive living water, allow members of our pastoral team to pray over you. Whatever it is that's come and taken over, God, right now we want to bring it to him in prayer to come and receive by faith. And we'll pray for you at the end of the song. Would you come? Come right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come forward.